Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper Podcast, where somebody's got to say it. My name is Patrick Hayes, your regular host, and tonight I am flying solo again, and we are going to pick up where we left off like, I don't know, five weeks ago. Now, understand, tonight's video is not going to be visually striking because it's just one dude sitting in front of a camera talking for an hour. So I don't expect people to really be excited about or tune into this video. But with that being said, anyone that is watching live, we would love to get a comment from you. So if you search for the Bible Thumper podcast on Facebook or YouTube on a Sunday night at 7 p.m., you can watch us live. You can be a part of the show. You can leave a comment. You can ask a question. We definitely try to answer those questions. Uh, if it's a stupid or rude comment, you're definitely going to get a response from us. That's a great way to make sure that, you know, we make fun of you on air. And uh, yeah, we just love hearing from folks. So jump on in with your comments, with your questions, be a part of the show. Other than that, you can always find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all the different places that you can find a podcast, and you can download this and listen to it later, and you don't have to sit there in front of a screen watching a guy on a video by himself talk about the Bible, but it's also Sunday night, and if you're back east, it's 9 p.m. If you're down in Texas in the central time zone, it's 8 p.m., and here in western Colorado at 7 p.m., maybe the kids are in bed, you're winding down, you're getting ready for next week, and you want to hear a little bit of Bible to put you in a good mood before you go to bed, so this is a good place to do it. About, uh, I don't know, five or six weeks ago, the title of the podcast was Common Mistakes Christians Make. And really, the title should have been Common Mistakes Christians Make Part One. Tonight is Part Two. So if you listen to that, great. If not, you can listen to both of them. They'll both be up on, you know, Spotify or wherever you get your podcast by tomorrow morning. And you can listen to two of them in a row and you can kind of get the idea of what we are shooting now. I should apologize for not getting on the last two weeks. The last two Sundays were evenings for Hana. I've done a big first one, then I think this one I got sick and I, man, I just didn't feel good. So we have not done this. Couple weeks, so hopefully it won't be too bad knocking the rust off and jumping right on in. So this message this evening is for the Christian that wants to be closer to God. Now, I would hope that any Christian that's listening to a Christian podcast would fall into that category. You're probably not going to care to listen listen to additional Bible teaching. Uh, you're not going to go out of your way to listen to a preacher other than Sunday morning when your wife drags you to church and you have to go and you have to look interested so the kids don't think that you're a fraud. But if you have a desire to be closer to God, then you're you might be doing stuff like this. You're reading Christian books. You're listening to Christian podcasts. You are trying to take steps to learn more about the Bible and get closer to God. This message tonight is for those people. This message is also for the folks that, you know, they think they want to get closer to God. They think they want to do God's will, but they're just scared. And I understand that, and we addressed that in great detail back on, I don't know, remember what it was, November 18th, I think, was the last one we where we got into this. 
So in part one, we talked about common mistake number one, and that common mistake for most Christians is thinking that what you think matters. And please understand, it does not. What you think, what I think, those things don't matter. What matters is what God says. And we find that in this black leather bound book. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. You probably have it on your phone. But before that, they used to print them on paper and wrap them in black leather. Uh, Tonight, we're going to get right into common mistake number two for Christians. Common mistake number two is not reading your Bible. So I am 43 years old. It is January 1st of 2023, and we are starting off the new year uh, with a brand new season number four of the Bible Thumper podcast. So we've been going for, this is our fourth year now. And I got handed my first Bible when I was, I think I was 21. And I started reading it, started going to church. Uh, got saved a couple years later, been in church ever since then, been teaching the Bible, uh, been a pastor for uh, the last two plus years, uh, been an assistant pastor before that and involved in you know a variety of ministries in every church that I've been a part of for, I don't know, a long time. I am continually amazed at how few Christians read their Bible regularly where they have a scheduled time where every day they sit down and they read the Bible. I am further amazed that many Christians never even go beyond that. Now, understand, I've been there. I've had times when, you know, I didn't have time to read my Bible or that's what I thought, or I just didn't care that much because I was busy with life. But as a Christian that wants to do the will of God, wants to take God serious, I got married, I had kids, and all of a sudden it's like, man, it's even more important now that I take God and this Christianity thing seriously. And what I had to do was I had to have a time when I read the Bible every day. And I set aside time to study the Bible as well. And I'm amazed at how many Christians never get to that point. First of all, the point of just reading the Bible daily. Second of all, having a time where you do what I would call serious or in-depth study where you have a question about the Bible and you jump into it and you're like, you know what? I'm going to figure this out. Okay. What does the Bible say about capital punishment? What does the Bible say about fill in the blank? And then you're going to get into it. You're going to read it. Nowadays, you're going to get online and look up some answers. It's not hard to find a lot of scripture and some answers from either, you know, uh, very good, astute, smart Christians or you know, stupid ones that have a website, but but you're trying to study the Bible. So I've always been amazed at how few Christians even care to get there. For those of you who do want to be closer to God, or you feel like God has been putting pressure on you to get closer to him and take this whole Christian thing seriously, the biggest mistake you can make is thinking that you are going to get closer to God And you are going to be a serious, effective Christian without reading your Bible. I'm here to tell you tonight, you are not. It does not work. So 
we are mostly going to cover why the Christian should read the Bible. I'm not going to explain how to read your Bible, although I think that's a good topic and it'll be a topic for another podcast on another day. The first thing we want to look at as far as why we should read our Bible is simple. God wrote the book. If you, as a Christian, have a desire to be a part of his team, then you should read his book. It has all the information you are going to use to be effective in ministry. It also has all the information you're going to use to be effective as a husband and as a father, as a wife and as a mother. It has all the information you are going to use to be an effective Christian in whatever area God has you. Rather than reading Christian books, rather than reading, or I should say, listening to a Christian podcast like this one, you should read your Bible. I know the Bible can be daunting. I know the Bible can be intimidating. When I first started reading the Bible, understand, I I got a New Testament given to me. That's what was given to me. That's all I had. And I didn't know anything. I didn't even know there was an Old Testament when I got the New Testament. So I started reading it, started in Matthew, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Very quickly into Mark, I realized that it was the same story, but told from a slightly different point of view. <coughs> and I read it all the way through Revelation. Excuse me. One of the great things about reading one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and then going into the book of Acts, is that it is a story. It is a historical telling, and it's easy to read. It moves. You can follow the characters. You can see what's going on. It totally makes sense. Then you start reading Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you start having questions. So you're going to find a Christian somewhere and you're going to say, okay, who wrote this? Who are they talking to? What's going on? When I got done with the New Testament, I said, okay, I need a whole Bible. And I got the whole Bible, bada bing, here we go, old and new, all together. And like any other book, I started reading in the book of Genesis. And I started going through it. And again, the book of Genesis is very easy to read. It is a story. It's a historical telling of God's creation and God uh, making a covenant with this special guy, Abraham. It's a story about uh, Noah and the flood that was prior to Abraham, but after Adam and Eve. Then you get into the nation of Israel and you get into the 12 tribes and Joseph and Egypt. It moves. It's easy to read. Then you get into the book of Exodus and all of a sudden it changes gears a little. The story's still great for a little bit. Then you get to chapter 20 when Moses gets to Mount Sinai and it slows down kind of you're grinding the gears trying to get through it because it is it is going over a lot of the rules for the nation of Israel before they are going to go into the promised land. <sighs> You keep going and you keep reading and you find out that the Old Testament, if you don't have a little bit of context, it's going to be hard to follow. You have these prophets that are writing books. You don't know who they're writing them to. You don't know where they fall in a timeline. And if you don't know a little bit of the history of the Bible, 
you know, the history of beginning, middle, and, you know, end, you're going to get bogged down a little bit lost. I'm here to tell you, friends, when I started reading the Bible, the internet wasn't really even a thing. I mean, it was just ramping up because when I was 20 years old, it was the year 2000. So the internet was around, but you got to remember when I finished two years of college, I never used the internet one time to write a paper or do anything. It was just, you know, coming about. So when I the Bible and I was studying the Bible, I had to get at all these other books to help me do it. Nowadays, the Christian had absolutely no excuse for not knowing their Bible. Every Bible commentary written by every intelligent man through the ages about the Bible is now not only easily found, almost all of them are free. You can find a good Bible teacher and watch all of their videos, listen to their podcasts. You can listen to pastors from every church in America go through every Sunday and teach something about the Bible. The tools that are available today make it so that it is a joke for a Christian today to say, man, I just don't know my Bible. Now, that might sound harsh, and I get it. I mean, you know, this is Bible thumper. Someone's got to say it. So I'm the guy. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I mean to be brutally honest. You don't need to remain there. If that's where you are as a Christian today, okay, that's where I was. There have been many years in my Christian walk where my Bible reading just dove off and was non-existent. But just like starting out at a gym, you don't need to be fat your entire life. You can go to a gym, you can get a trainer, you can learn how to pick up and put down the weights, you can start taking a walk, you can start watching what you eat. And the fact is, everybody that's done that, even one time in their life, knows that three months after they started, it is normal, it is regular, they feel better, they have a better range of motion, they sleep better, every single thing in their life, I mean, it's just better. And as a Christian, you don't have to remain where you are. You can be closer to God than wherever you are right now. And there are different steps you need to take to get there, but you can do it. It's not unobtainable. God wants you close to him. So he made it pretty simple. <clears throat> I'm not going to say it's always easy because it takes work and discipline. It definitely takes time, but you can do this. So don't think you're going to be an effective and successful Christian. Don't think you're going to get closer to God if you are not reading the Bible. God's plan is revealed in his book. If you don't know God's plan, then you'll always be operating on our best guess. Along with all of that, let's forget about your effectiveness as a Christian in this life. How are you going to feel 
when one day you die, you go to heaven and you meet this guy named Obadiah. And you don't know who he is. And of course, he's talking to you as if you do know who he is. Have you ever been there, whether it was at school or at work or at a family function or, I mean, a party or whatever, where someone walks up to you and they're talking to you as if they know you really well and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea who this person is. And you act like you do. Why? Because you don't want to come off looking like an idiot because they clearly know who you are. Now, when you're in heaven, you are going to meet this guy, Obadiah. And you don't know who he is, but he's talking to you as if you should. And you're going to feel pretty stupid because at some point in the conversation, you're going to find out that he is the author of one of the books of the Bible. And his book, it was only one chapter long. I think it was 21 verses and you never read it, you're going to feel like an idiot. And if you didn't read his book, when he finds out, let's hope that he's not a jerk about it. Because if he is, he is going to make fun of you for eternity. Now, before we get too far into the importance of reading your Bible, you really must first believe that God wrote the book. For many, it is through reading the book that one comes to believe that God wrote the book. And I understand that. My point is that you are not going to trust and obey the Bible until you are convinced that God wrote it. And our job is just to read it and believe it. That's it. Try. It's a great hymn. This portion of the message is upon the belief that the Bible was supernatural. He used over 40 authors over a time span of thousands of years. He wrote the book in multiple languages by guys who various countries. And it is all exactly the way. God. Now that's my belief. So let's look at some Bible. This is a good one. This is one of those, ver it's two verses, but it's one of them portions that you should just have memorized. Second Timothy chapter three. Verses 16 and 17. Now that I said that, I feel like I should be able to quote it because I used to have this memorized. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I think I got that right. All right. These two verses in the Bible tell us four things the Bible is good for, and one thing that reading it will result in. It says the Bible is profitable for doctrine. 
Now, doctrine is what we should believe. It's what God believes. When you wonder, is this right or wrong? Well, that's doctrine. God set down a set of beliefs in the Bible, and he outlined what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. That's doctrine. The Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That's a tough one. Reproof is blame expressed to one's face. It is blame directed at a person. That's rough. The Bible is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and correction. Correction is the act of bringing someone back from error, being corrected. Instruction is simply teaching. So let's take a look at these four things. Doctrine. Doctrine is for every Christian. What does God believe and what does God want you to believe? So many Christians have stupid and messed up beliefs. And really, why shouldn't they? They don't read their Bible. So any nonsense that comes up and sounds good is going to be added to their pile of what they believe. And we can put it another way. If we don't know what God believes, then we will never recognize what God doesn't believe. When a non-biblical, worldly, pagan belief shows up, how will you know? What reason will you have to ignore it? Now, I want to go down this little rabbit trail, and it's going to take a second, but I think it's well worth it to make this point, and it gets into a portion of the Bible in Matthew chapter 4 that I really like, and a little bit of a story of the life of Jesus that I think is just great, so we're going to jump into it. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4, and while you're turning there, I'll give you the background. Jesus was just baptized. That happened in the end of chapter 3. He was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and there are a lot of people present. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Holy Spirit descended Jesus like a dove. It was clearly a, a big moment. Everybody present. Then Jesus is led. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil comes and tempts him. Jesus and Satan have a conversation here in the Bible. It doesn't happen often when God and the devil have direct dialogue. This is one of those times where there is a back and forth. So the devil has his first temptation. He is trying to get Jesus to mess up. He is trying to get Jesus to sin. That's what he's trying to do. The devil has his first temptation, and Jesus quotes scripture to shut him up. To get the devil to stop talking and give up on his point, Jesus quotes the Bible. The devil recognizes that Jesus won the first round. He doesn't argue with Jesus. He moves on to temptation number two. Now, a great lesson for us, 
that we're not even going to really focus on at this point is that when Jesus was tempted, he quoted scripture. Well, guess what, folks? When you are tempted by the devil, what do you think you should do? Well, that's right. You should quote scripture. That's what Jesus did. Now, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't memorize scripture, let alone read it. Now for temptation number two. Let's pick it up in Matthew chapter four, starting in verse five, and we're going to read verses five, six, and seven. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. So the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem up onto the peak of the temple in Jerusalem. That was a high point. Verse six, and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. Ready for this? For it is written. Now, can we just pause here for a second? What did the devil just say? He said, for it is written. What does that mean? What is the devil about to do? The devil is about to quote the Bible. I'll say that again. The devil is about to quote the Bible. That means that the devil knows his Bible. And the devil, keep in mind, he is tempting Jesus, trying to get Jesus to sin. And when he tries to get God to sin, he uses the Bible to do it. Now, he distorts the Bible. He don't do it right. And you know what he does? He leaves out a couple of words and he changes the meaning of the portion of scripture that he is quoting. We're going to look at this back to Matthew chapter four. I'm going to read all three verses this time. So it makes sense. And it's all together. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So just like before, Jesus quotes scripture at the devil, and the second round goes to Jesus as well. The devil gives up. He realizes that that one is not going to work. But I'm not looking to focus on what Jesus did there. I want to talk about what the devil said. What did the devil do? Well, the devil quoted from Psalm chapter 91. He quoted verse 11 and verse 12. So you can flip there, Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bible handy, while you're in Matthew chapter 4 verses 5, 6, and 7, in the margin somewhere, you should write Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12 so that when you're showing your buddy this tomorrow at the water cooler at work or at on the lunch hour and you're showing him and explaining to him the Bible, you'll be able to find it. Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. 
they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now the devil omits seven words in those two verses, and it completely changes the meaning. The will of God was for Jesus to die on the cross. We know that. The angels are there to help Jesus do the will of the Father in heaven. The devil wanted Jesus to do the will of the devil and just pitch himself off of the top of the temple to his death. Well, the angels weren't there for when Jesus did the will of the devil. And that's what Matt, uh, Psalm 91 is saying. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Talking about God's ways. That's the purpose of it. So the devil was trying to trick Jesus. And how did the devil do it? He did it by quoting the Bible. He just left out a little bit. It totally changed the meaning, and he was trying to get Jesus off in another, on another path, going in a different direction, not doing the will of God, and messing up the whole plan. And obviously, we are grateful that he did not do that. Jesus didn't sin. Instead, about three years later, three and a half years later, he ends up going to the cross and dying for all the sins of the world and crushes the devil with a blow to the head. So we were grateful for that. Now, here's my point. If you don't know your Bible, then you will never recognize when a counterfeit shows up. Some preacher or some Christian author or heaven forbid, an attractive and charming host of a Christian podcast will lead you astray because they are preaching things that sound pretty good but it just ain't the Bible. It sounds close, but it's not the truth. That's why you need to know your Bible. So you are not led astray by a wolf in sheep's clothing or a wolf quoting part of a Bible verse. Now, I, I feel like I should get off into the weeds here for a second and explain something to you. Every morning, me and five of my six oldest kids, or my five oldest kids, my sixth child is seven years old, and he's not really, you know, reading that well to where getting up and reading the Bible would benefit him that much, although I'm sure it would be good for him to be around the rest of us and learn something, uh, he's just not able to you know, read and follow along. So every day at 6 a.m., me and my five oldest wake up and we do the morning routine. You know, you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, you comb your hair, you take off your pajamas and get dressed for the day and you brush your teeth and you, you know, we come downstairs and we make coffee and we get our Bibles out and then we all go around the table and we all pray. And then after that, we all read the Bible together. And this is a time where dad reads the Bible and everyone follows along and we go through a book at a time, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, 
and we stop and we talk about things and I ask a lot of questions and I tell the kids underline this or highlight that and we, you know, keep them involved and and we do this every day. And that and that's not true. Like this week we did it six out of seven days. We do it Monday through Saturday. We typically take Sunday off. Um, you know, and there are days when we do it all seven days, but <clears throat> I don't want anyone thinking we're perfect because we're not. We just do a pretty good job of it. Now, there was a time when we did not do this and my kids started getting older and older. And I said, you know what? I need to change something. As a dad, I am just failing my kids. And I said, I just need to get them up and I need to read the Bible with them. And we tried different times of the day and things are not the way. Nothing worked. I finally said, you know, we just get up earlier. That's it got up early and it's going to be hard kids to wake up. We all do. Any man that, that, you know, has worked a variety of jobs in his life, had one or two jobs where he had to get up at four or five in the morning, doesn't kill you. You just go to bed a little. So I said, okay, guys, here's the new rule. This is what we're doing, you know, and bada bing. The next day we're up at six. It was tough at first, but we've been doing this for years and years and years. I felt like as a father, this is what God wanted me to do. And I felt like this because of what I read in the Bible. And I saw uh, how important it was for a dad to lead the family. So I needed to lead by example. I also needed to literally uh, lead my children by teaching them the Bible. So we started this out. Now, my son, my oldest son, this last year, he got his permit and he started uh, working. So he worked two different jobs and the jobs were such where the first job that he got, it was easy. We could just get up and do the 6am thing. And then he had to be at work, you know, a little later in the day because he worked a little bit more of a retail kind of job. So he didn't need to be at work at 730 or 8am like his dad did, you know, work in construction. He was able to, um, uh, after that, do a little bit of homeschool and then get off to work and be there at, I don't know, 10 or 11 or nine or whatever. I was at work. I didn't care what time he had to go to work. Then after that job finished up, cause it was a seasonal one, he started working another job at a golf course and he started working in the maintenance department. And well, when you're working maintenance, especially outside, uh, you start working when the sun comes up. So he ended up going into work and having to be there early enough to where he could not participate with the rest of the family in the morning Bible reading and prayer. And I had been telling my kids for years, listen, guys, one day dad is not going to be making you do this. One day you are going to have to do this on your own. And it is very, very important for you as a Christian to get up in the morning and read the Bible and pray and have time with God every day. You have to do it. We don't know what your schedule is going to be like and what your family is going to be like. And maybe you do it in the evening after dinner or, or whatever. That's fine. But you have to do it if you're going to be successful. If you want a good family, you have to do it. If you want to be a good, strong Christian, you have to do it. 
So I was talking to my kids about this and I'm pretty sure they all figured, well, yeah, one day when I get older and I get married and I have kids, I'm going to have to do what dad is doing right now. And I'm going to have to read the Bible to them and pray with them and teach them the Bible. And as kids that are 12, 13, 14, 15, they weren't thinking I'm going to have to do this next week. They're thinking I'm going to have to do this many, many years from now. Then all of a sudden, my 15-year-old realized he has to do it right now because he's leaving for work at, I don't remember, I think they left to go to work at 6.30. So, I mean, if you wake up at 6, by the time you get down to the dining room table after you brush your teeth and get dressed and, you know, all these things, it's like, well, you know, he had to get up earlier than we did. And he had to pack his lunch and get some breakfast and, you know, and get ready for work. So he was not able to read the Bible with us. And I asked him for the first week, hey, did you read your Bible today? You know, when he was going to bed. No, no, I forgot. All right. Second day, did you read your Bible? No, no, I forgot. At the end of the week, I sat him down and I had a conversation. I said, look, buddy, when we had this talk about this idea that you need to read your Bible and pray and you got to do it on your own and your dad's not always going to be there to do it with you, you guys might have thought that you had to do it one day when you moved out of this house and you got married and things like that. But guess what? You have to do it now as a 15-year-old who's going to work because you're not able to do it with us. So you have to do it on your own. And he had to figure out, okay, when I get home, I got to take a shower and get dressed and have some dinner. And, you know, maybe I have a little bit more um, homeschooling that I got to do. And then I have to set some time aside where I can read the Bible and pray on my own because I'm a Christian now and I'm not able to do it with my mom and dad. So I have to take responsibility and I have to do it myself. Every Christian has to do that on their own. They're going to come to a point where they recognize I'm either going to take this Christianity thing seriously or I'm not, but those are my options. So what's it going to be? And we have to set aside a time and we got to read the Bible because that's what Christians do. Do you know that Jesus, what did Jesus call the word of God? What is it compared to in the Bible? It's compared to bread. And Jesus talks about our daily bread. Do you know that it has no bearing on Tuesday how much Bible you read on Monday? It doesn't matter how much you study how much you memorize, how much you read, how much you learn on Monday, Tuesday stands on its own. You need it daily. If you're going to survive, just like you need bread or food, if you will, sustenance to continue on and have the strength to make it through the day, you need the Bible daily, not haphazardly once in a while, 
Try do try doing that diet. Try eating as often as you read the Bible. Yeah, a lot of Christians out there would have starved. I'm going to get back to as a dad in a little bit. But I just wanted to focus on we all have to do this. Every single one of us has to grow up, so to speak, at some point and put on the big boy pants and decide, I am going to take my Christianity seriously. I am going to read my Bible. So reasons you need to read your Bible. Number one was God wrote the book. Subpoint. It's good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. We talked about doctrine. And if you don't know what God believes, then you will believe a non-biblical, worldly, pagan belief when it shows up. And don't say that you won't. Don't say not me, because I've met smarter Christians than you that have been led away by bad doctrine. It happens to the person that doesn't know their Bible, whoever's not reading their Bible. Reproof. Let's touch on this real quick. You need to know the Bible if you're going to reprove someone. Now, I'm not suggesting that you become the designated reprover at your church. But whoever you are, you might have authority or a sphere of influence at some point in your life, some sphere of influence that you are responsible for your wife, your kids, your Sunday school class, maybe your Christian friend who asks you your opinion or advice. In order to reprove, you must know your Bible. You can't do it without the Bible. Next one is correction. Now, this one can be viewed several ways, and I'm going to lean on the most comical of those ways, and that is If you know your Bible, you will need the least amount of correction. This is the do yourself a favor and don't sound like a stupid Christian idea. I did not get saved until later in life. I was not raised in church. I was not raised in a Christian home. I was about 23 or 24 years old. I never held the Bible until I was 21 years old. I was given a Bible. It was a New Testament. I've mentioned this story before. And after I started reading the Bible, I learned that a lot of Christians didn't know very much about the Bible either. When I started reading the Bible, I questions. I had a lot of questions. I was one of those guys that every class that I sat in in school and college, in you know, apart from the times when I was you know smoking too much pot and sleeping through classes in high school, um, I was the guy that was asking a lot of questions. I was curious. I wanted to know more about the subject matter, and I was interested in reading the Bible. So all the more important. I wanted to know, and well, what about this? And who's this guy? And where'd this come from? And how does this work? And, you know, so I had a lot of questions. I asked my friends who were Christians at the time, after I started reading the Bible, I I did go to church and I met Christians and hung out with more Christians. And, and I would ask them the questions that came up when I was reading the Bible. And I'm not talking about 
just anybody, okay, I'm talking about folks who went to church their whole life and were still going to church. I just figured that these people would know the answers about their God and the book that he wrote. They did not. Now, I found some great Christians who were very helpful. They knew the Bible, and when they didn't, they found answers for me because they knew where to look to find these answers. It was at that time that I promised God that I would not be an ignorant Christian. The thought literally came to me, God, you've got enough of those and you don't need one more. I promised God that I would learn the Bible and I would have answers for people because it was so frustrating as a brand new Christian that was going through the Bible for the first time to not have people that could help me with it and answer some very basic questions that came up as I was reading through it. So to make a point on the idea of correction, here it is. Don't be the stupid, ignorant Christian in the room. It's not helping God. It's not helping your spouse. It's not helping your kids. It's not helping the rest of the world. Do not be the stupid, ignorant Christian in the room. And again, folks, the tools that are out there nowadays make it easy to learn the Bible. There are so many tools out there. There are so many preachers. There are so many podcasts and videos and websites. It should not be hard for anybody in America with an internet connection. On top of that, don't let your kids be the stupid, ignorant Christians in the room. It is so discouraging. Some of my friends that have kids that don't know anything about the Bible. And I have some friends that I've been going to church with for years and years and years. And what's obvious is that mom and dad ain't teaching them the Bible. They're just not. And the kids feel stupid when someone asks them a question and they have no idea. And the kids don't want to. And get this, mom and dad, guess what? Your kids love learning the Bible. They love it. They enjoy it. They want to know more. The stories are interesting. If you can't make the Bible interesting, I mean, I mean, I there's no hope for you. There are so many interesting stories in there. It it, you know, it's unbelievable. Don't let your kids be the stupid, ignorant Christians in the room. That's just a great segue into our next section instruction. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. How can we help someone if we don't know the subject matter?
The last part of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is instruction. Every single one of us are supposed to be Bible teachers. I'm going to say that again. Every single one of us are supposed to be Bible teachers. Not all of us will have a gift for it. Not all of us will have a classroom. But all of us will at times have someone ask us a question about the Bible because we are the only Christians they know. The day your friend loses their job and they come to you with questions, they want comfort from the good book. And you're the guy that they know goes to church. Do you know where to turn and help them? That's, and, and what I mean is, do you know what page to turn to <laughs> and find them something that is comforting in the good book? That is not the time to say, boy, I, I just got no idea, you know, what to tell you there, but I'm sure I can find someone who knows. On that day, you're going to feel like an idiot. That's why we need to read our Bible. That's why we need to take this thing seriously. Here's one. Are you married? Do you have kids? Guess what, fellas? It's your job to help your wife learn the Bible. It's not your pastor's job. That's not his job. Now, hopefully he helps with the task, but you are responsible. It's great if your pastor does a good job of teaching the Bible and he makes it interesting and he answers your questions and you enjoy learning from him. That's great. That is great. And if your church has additional times when you can get together with folks and study the Bible, maybe you have a Sunday school class, maybe you have a small group through the week where you get together at someone's house and you're going through a book of the Bible. All of that is great. Totally great but it is not the job of your church or your pastor to teach the Bible to your wife. Husbands, it is your job. Now, keep in mind, there's a very good possibility that your wife knows a lot more Bible than you do. That's fine. But can you at least have a time where the two of you get together and read it together and get into it? Can you put some effort into it where you prepare for 15 minutes, you look up a little bit, you read ahead and find and learn a little bit about the book, and you can bring up some interesting points that you have found, and you can have a discussion with your wife about it. Wouldn't that be great? You want to know something? Your wife will love it. If your wife is a queer Christian woman who loves God, she would be thrilled if you said, sweetie, I just really feel like we should get together in the evening and just sit down and read the Bible together for 30 minutes. It would mean a lot to me if we could do that. What do you think? I'm telling you, 19 out of 20, 99 out of 100 Christian women, any of them that want to go to church and love God, they're going to be thrilled if you would take the reins and do that. Even if you do it poorly, they're going to be thrilled do you know that they're going to brag to every other woman that they know about that? 
Do you realize that they are going to bring that up in front of every other woman? Oh, my husband's the best. You know, we just started reading the Bible together. He just came and said, sweetie, we really need to take this seriously. We just haven't been doing a good job as Christians, and I want to be a stronger Christian couple. Would you partner with me? Would you be willing to commit to do this? Every night we're going to get together, and we're just going to read the Bible for 30 minutes, and we're going to talk about it. It'll be great time one-on-one with the two of us. It'll be a j- just a sweet time. We'll be able to get to know the Lord together. And I think that would be just good for our family and make us stronger Christians. I think God would bless that. Do you know that your wife will brag to every single woman she knows when you start that? You will be the envy of everybody at your church. And half the guys at your church will hate you because their wives are going to come home after your wife paints you in a light where you walk on water and heal the blind. And those women that are friends, they're going to come home and they are going to give it to their husband. Why don't we do anything like this? Why don't you be more like this fella over here? She is so lucky. Her husband takes this seriously, yada, yada, yada. You are going to come out smelling like roses to Emmon at the church that you go to if you would do this. It's your job. You might as well do it. It's not your youth pastor's job to teach your kids you you seeing a pattern here it is your job to teach your kids it's your job you need to set up a time when you get your kids together every day and teach them the bible Now, I know this task might be daunting, especially if you say, you know what, Patrick, I don't know the Bible. I don't know it. So I'm going to feel like an idiot if I'm trying to teach it. Okay, that's not the case. Even if you teach it poorly to your kids, they're going to be amazed. Number one, if you start in the book of Genesis, okay, you are going to go through the book of Genesis and your kids are going to pay attention the whole time. Chapters five and 11, when you go over the genealogies, you just got to put the hammer down and get through it. You can make fun of the funny sounding names. Other than that, it's a story that really moves. It reads, okay? And the biggest thing you have to know about husbands, when you're teaching the Bible, don't worry about all the stuff you don't understand. Just Go past it. It don't matter. Worry about the stuff that you do understand. Worry about the stuff when you feel like God is putting pressure on you and saying that one there is important. Great. Focus on that. Hey, kids, do you see this? Do you know why this is important? God says this because he wants us to do that, and it's important to him, and we shouldn't do these things, and God loves it when we obey him. Oh, look at that. Wow. God blessed Noah and saved his life. Why? Because he was a preacher of righteousness. God loves it. God loves preachers. There you go. You just taught your kids something. Okay. God blessed Abraham because he was going to teach his kids to follow God and do righteousness. Boom. Just focus on what you know. On top of that, I mean, come on. 
Don't give me that I don't know the Bible thing. You didn't know anything about the job that you had when you started either. You got a little bit of training, and guess what? Now you teach the class on it. I don't care what job you're in. You can teach the new guy. Okay, if you are a painter, I'm not telling you that you need to teach Michelangelo how to paint. But there's going to be a new guy that joins the crew and doesn't know much about painting, and you're going to be able to show him what you know. Congratulations, you're a teacher. It's the same way with the Bible. And if you're teaching your kids, you're probably teaching 10-year-olds. If your kid's already 17, 18 years old, they're probably, and you've never taught them the Bible, I doubt they listen to you anyhow. But if you are a Christian man and you want to take this thing seriously, start as soon as you can. A 10-year-old can teach an 8-year-old something. It's not, it's not that hard and do a little bit of homework for crying out loud, read ahead, a chapter, watch a video on YouTube, find, I mean, the resources are literally limitless. Just put some effort into it. It's a pet peeve of mine. All right. It is. That's just where we are. America is in the crummy situation that it's in because men are not acting like men. Men are not doing their job. Men are not stepping up and being a strong husband or a strong father or a strong Christian role model and leader in their church. They are just sitting back on their butt and they are playing too many video games and they're being lazy and they're watching too much football and they're not taking God seriously. And that is why our country is in the state that it is in, period. That's it. I don't want to hear about what you think. You're wrong. Men are failing God, and that is why America is in the toilet. That's the reason. That's the whole reason. It could be fixed that easily. It's just up to you. So one guy has to stand up and say, I'm going to make a difference. This is what we're doing from now on, and get your family to follow you because you're leading the way. Friends, this has been a wonderful hour. Thank you for joining us on the Bible Thumper podcast. We've hit an hour, so I'm not going to drag this thing on because I'm not talking to Zach tonight. And when Zach is on here, you can look forward to a two-hour podcast. But we're going to say goodnight this evening. Thank you for joining us. Please join us every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube if you just search for the Bible Thumper podcast. And if you search for the Bible Thumper podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcast, or Spotify, you can download, listen, share, like, and rate our podcast. It helps a lot, and it helps get this podcast in front of other people that might like it. So I really do appreciate you folks uh, listening in. And please join us next week. We are going to finish up common mistakes Christians make. And that that, <laughs> that was a lie. There are several points we're going to go over. We're only on the second point. And we didn't even get all the way through it. We're going to try to finish up the second point, why we need to read our Bible. Then we're going to move on to praying. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to save the others because you know, they're exciting. I want, I want there to be some surprise. So uh, I have six different points as far as common mistakes Christians make, and we're going to get through all of them in this little series that I'm putting together. So thank you for joining us. Have a good week, have a good 2023, make a decision to make the Bible and God a serious part of your life this year. Have a great night.